Mel. And Kel. And this is It's Called Culture. Ever heard of it? Boy, do we have a doozy for you today. Oh, I'm so excited to talk about this topic. <laughs> so we we wanted to do a topic on anxiety, and that was sort of what we were brainstorming and prepping for. And we were we had our own stories and all kinds of stuff that we were going to share with you. And we still will at some other time. But we tripped over something else that we want to make this episode about. We went down a little rabbit hole. So there is this term that the Portuguese community uses to express when they're anxious. And the word is igniej. So <laughs> we just went through a rabbit hole first. We were trying to find the word. And we realized that it was almost a made up Azorian word, right? Sort of. Not made up. But we thought it was, we definitely thought it was made up for a little bit because we have terms sometimes that because we're kind of like American Portuguese immigrant situation that like sometimes there's terms that only we use or they're like half English, half Portuguese. I never really know if it's a real word or not, but we were all familiar with this term, agniage, and we started trying to look it up and we were like, I don't know if I'm butchering the spelling of it. Like I can't figure out why I can't find it. And I thought that it directly translated to anxiety for some reason. Same. I was looking like how to translate anxiety in Portuguese. And it was not <laughs> this word at all. Like the word did not come up at all in any finding. No. And like the word that it was telling me for anxiety, I was like, never heard that word in my life. I've only heard agniage. Sorry. And so we were on this deep dive trying to find this out. And I think at one point you stumbled upon like angina and we were like, <laughs> is this have I been saying agniage for anxiety this whole time? And it really just means angina. And we're like, <laughs> it makes sense because, you know, if you're anxious and you have agniage and it's like chest, you know, discomfort in relation and that's where angina is. But we're like, no, <laughs> it can't be. So then somehow I stumbled. I was Googling every which way that you could possibly think of. I was like Azorian term for anxiety. And then I was like butchering the spelling of agniage. And then finally, and it seems so obvious now, but I was missing the O. So it's it's like agony, like agoniage. Okay. And so the spelling is A-G-O-N-I-A-S. If anybody wants to look it up. Yes. And you do. You definitely do want to look it up. <laughs> Because <laughs> what well, we didn't realize, so we found this term agniage and we started reading and we were just like, our jaws just immediately dropped. And we were like, oh my God, this makes so much sense for how we were brought up and the people that we've been around our whole lives. <laughs> I don't know how many times in my childhood and still in my adult life, I heard my mom say she has agniage. <laughs> and then to find out what we found out yesterday... <laughs> I am like baffled by it. Let's let's start with the English version of the word. So agony, right? So I always go to my head goes to like the agony of Christ. Like, I don't know why, but like, I just, we don't use the word agony in normal settings other than that. Right. But if you look it up, it's intense suffering or torture, anguish, preceding death. Okay. It's a, it's a heavy word. You don't just use it for a paper cut. You're not in agony right. over a paper cut. Okay. Right. But so it's it's big, heavy stuff. But then 
So that's kind of the English version of the word. But then we started down the rabbit hole that is the Portuguese version of this word. And it is crazy. Over the past 24 hours, we have read hundreds of pages of scientific documents <laughs> with like a hypothesis and a, a scientific method on this word. <laughs> All for my 65-year-old mother to say that she has igneous. <laughs> and it's like, but do you really? This entire episode is going to be about igneous, and we are going to share all of what we've come across with you because it is just so great. So we are not trying, we are not trying to poke fun at anxiety or any type of mental health. So we'll put that, well, let's make that clear. I suffer majorly from anxiety. We have igneous, major igneous. <laughs> but I cannot promise that I will not laugh throughout this episode because some of the things are just so Humorous. hysterical, and puzzle pieces of your life are just starting to like fall into place when you realize all of these things about your your parents and grandparents and how they lived. And it just a lot of it doesn't make any sense of how it they, they jump to like one spectrum to the next with like describing what a niche is so that's why that's like what we find funny not the actual like someone suffering from anxiety i guess just to get into it for them a niche is not necessarily just a, a physical term like for physical suffering it's it's the combination of physical, social, mental, religious suffering all together, all encompassed into one thing. But a lot of what I was reading was that Western medicine has no answer for agniage. There's no direct translation into Western medical terms for agniage. The closest thing that people, some people have come up with for one interpretation of agniage would be like an anxiety disorder, but not really. Right. Yeah. It's, it's like a panic attack too, they say. Right. But because agniage has so many meanings, it can mean so many things that right. there's not really like a direct translation or a direct word. It's kind of like the word sudaj in Portuguese, where there's no direct translation to sudad in English. Yeah. You know, like people say like longing and melancholy for Sudaj, but it's its own thing. Yeah, I feel like Igneous is the tree and then all the things underneath it is like the branches. <laughs> it's just it's just so many branches. So I feel like doctors don't know. They didn't know what like like if a patient like a Portuguese person came in and was like, I have Igneous. They wouldn't know what the person was suffering from. Let's talk about that spectrum. Uh, of what a kniege could be because <laughs> we've read the most hysterical things about a kniege. It could be anything from indigestion to right. having spiritual premonitions. Like, <laughs> what? Like you either need a Tums or you need an exorcism. We're not sure, but you have a kniege. Like, how do you go from Tom's to like reaching out to the like, Catholic Church and be like, "Excuse me, excuse me, Snoopot, I need you to come here. <laughs> I'm seeing things." 
Like, I don't understand. Like, how do how does that like correlate? There's like no correlation to those. Like, are you getting indigestion because you are being possessed? Is is the demon inside you giving you indigestion? Yeah, <laughs> seriously, <laughs> I don't know how they could have such an all encompassing word. Yeah. It's like a one-term fits all. <laughs> <laughs> like, what do you have? Oh, okay, that's ignorant. Mock it down. And then, how do you tr- like? How do you treat it? How do you? <laughs> somebody comes to you with a ignorant. How do you treat it? How do you get to the bottom of the ignorant? They open up their medical journal, <laughs> <laughs> and like, it's like you know, like the quizzes on like the nine, like our teen bot magazines where it's like like a bubble and a bubble there and it'll be like oh if you have this go yes you go down that way for yes or no down that way and then you just continue to do it till you get your final answer that's how our doctors asking the patient with a flow chart <laughs> yes thank you <laughs> i think like in the ultimate acne is just death or being on the brink of death yes I'm yes. like, my mom's on the brink of death every day. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we mentioned to start this off was that this is a culturally specific phenomenon. Right. Yeah. Experienced by the Portuguese people. And I think some of the research that we read or the research papers that we read were even more specifically about Azorian immigrants to the U.S. So I'm sure... There are Portuguese people on the mainland or Portuguese people in the Azores that talk about Igneish, have Igneish, but the research that was done was primarily on Azorian immigrants to the U.S. and Canada. One of the main problems was like a lot of these immigrants were coming to the doctors, but like they didn't know how to explain to the doctor what was wrong with them because they had the whole language barrier. So that's like a whole other aspect of it. Like, how do you explain to the doctor what you're feeling? How are you feeling when you can't even like speak with them? You bring your nine-year-old daughter. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to go to the doctors and tell parents, doctors, hey, my mom has demons inside her. (laughs) 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 I mean, like, I think that one, that appointment, I might have to skip. All right. So the first article that I am going to kind of give you some snippets from is called Reframing Disordered Bodies, Understanding Agniage by Lisa Vieira Dias. So one of the people that she spoke to as part of this research verbalized that Agniage felt like it was a feeling of missing air. You felt like you were faultoned. Odd. You were missing air. Interesting. So I wonder if she means like she was just having a hard time breathing. You have asthma. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, ultimately. (laughs) Yes. It's it's very humid out there. My allergies (laughs) act up every time I go over there. I I feel like I'm missing air also. It's about 80% humidity. (laughs) I don't have asthma, so I'm going to tell you. Agniish has been used to express the experience of indigestion and of symptoms linked to menopause and asthma, <laughs> but like also seeing spirits. And like menopause is 
is like a, a real thing. Like people know about it. It's a real thing. So like, why is that under as ish Like people know, right? Or or asthma or indigestion. Like those are real things. Right. They have. I'm sure. I'm sure there are their own words for those things. Right. Yeah. Like why, why does it manifest just as ish Yeah. I always thought ignis was just you have anxiety, just plain old straight up. I'm anxious about something. I'm OCD and I'm anxious about something. Boom. I did not Me too. know. <laughs> and like. Me too. And, you know, my mom and like other family members would, you know, if I, they would say they're anxious. And I thought the same thing, too. That was like what they were experiencing. Yes. And every article that I read keeps tying it into social conditions as well and religion and like the sharing of a in a community so it's not like an individual experience right it's like ignish is a shared experience amongst community members socially it's a suffering but you're suffering with others and by sharing your suffering that's like how you heal the suffering <laughs> And you heal the Agnish. Misery loves company. <laughs> That's all it is. <laughs> we got to suffer together. I could understand a little bit of that, like not suffering together because that's obviously not healthy, but obviously discussing your problems with obviously somebody else. So it's kind of like a therapist or like I talk, you talk to your friends. So I can understand that, but I also don't think like you should be suffering and like be like commiserating all your problems together because that it can't be healthy at all. And what are you comparing whose problems are worse and who's suffering more? Like that's not healthy. Right. This, so this article, it's referencing research of another person, but they mention that the three main categories of agniage are agniage of death, agniage of illness and agniage of premonition. The premonition, man. (laughs) That's what's really getting me. They have the religious moral agniage, which are God-given, fear of punishment, anxiety about sin. The Catholic guilt. Yes. (laughs) Fear of the Holy Spirit. Like, that's all part of that. Right. Socially, agniage or premonition of impending catastrophe. And to me, that is so born out of the fact that they lived on the isolated islands in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean and they were volcanic and there was natural disasters occurring regularly. Right. The constant worry of the volcano erupting. Yeah, I would have ignition over that. Oh, 100%. But so they just had this deeply embedded like sense of impending doom. Yeah, my mom quickly had mentioned when I guess obviously when she was younger growing up on the island um, they would sometimes sleep on the streets because of like the aftermath of the volcanoes like I guess because of the earthquakes really well I guess the volcano too but she said because of the earthquakes because they were so scared of getting like trapped in their houses that is so sad yeah so like and I never understood like growing up like my mom would be like you know I used to sleep on the streets and in my head I would be like why would you sleep on the streets you have a home like I've been to that home several times what are you talking about you slept <laughs> on the streets like what huh? and I'm like oh you slept on the streets because you guys are worried about being dead underneath your house like oh okay cool I get that <laughs> 
I mean, yes, I had these very, very large pine trees in my side yard for a long time when I moved in and they scared the crap out of me. Every time during a thunderstorm, they'd be like swaying in the wind. I was always afraid that this these pine trees were going to collapse on my house and I was going to die in my sleep in my bed. Oh, I remember. Oh, yeah. By pine tree. (laughs) And I would literally sleep. I wouldn't go so far as to sleep in the streets, but I would go and sleep downstairs in like the room, like on the floor in the room that was furthest from (laughs) where the pine trees were. (laughs) So that (laughs) if it did crash through my house, it wasn't going to kill me. At least my bedroom was probably closest to the pine trees. So I slept in an area where I thought I was safest from the pine trees. I left my husband in bed. I was just going to say, (laughs) what did your husband do? Did he also, he wasn't worried about being a death by pine tree? He did not share that agonia with me. Right. So, So I was alone in my agony and I... This just slept on the floor. I was like, well, if you want to die by a pine tree, fine by me, but I'm not going to die today. Amazing. <laughs> we finally, one of them came down in a storm in between two of my neighbor's houses. And like, if it hit the house, like who knows what would have happened, but it came down right in between the two houses. And like the next day I called the tree company and I was like, um, can you get out here immediately and cut down 25 giant pine trees? And they did. Yeah. So. That... That is now I can sleep in peace in my bed. (laughs) Would you only sleep downstairs when there was there was just a storm, right? Yes, yes. So just imagine not a pine tree and being on a living on a volcano and you're worried about eruptions and earthquakes. Brings a whole new (laughs) meaning to my life. (laughs) That went on for generations and generations, right? Of these people on this island sharing this suffering and fear. So at what point is that like imprinted in your DNA? Because I feel like, like we just, we, we grew up with that. We have that fear just embedded in our soul. Like it's just part of us. It's so crazy. I just wonder if I didn't grow up in a Portuguese household, would I be as an anxious adult as I am today? Right. It's the whole like nature versus nurture. Yeah. Like, am I anxious because of you? (laughs) Because of you guys? (laughs) Like, not my fault that you guys live on a volcano. <laughs> I'm sure I still would be anxious, but whatever. <laughs> they probably, the situation didn't help it. I feel like I didn't grow up seeing my dad being as anxious as my, as like my mom. Like, my mom was always anxious. Like, I don't, I don't feel like I saw that, like, with my dad, really. Well, I think they definitely had anxieties, but they didn't show them the way the women did. Right. Right. Yeah. The women were very, very outward with their agnias, very open. expressing, <laughs> expressing agnias. But you're right. I don't think I've ever heard a man say the term agnias. Like, I don't think in almost 35 years of my life, I heard my father say he had agnias. My, my mother <laughs> I can't count. <laughs> it's more than on my fingers. <laughs> so, again, in, in this same article that I referenced, it says, to represent the extent to which Agnias are connected to the Portuguese socio-religious structure, I add that the Portuguese have a saint dedicated to the experience of Agnias, Nossa Senhora da Agnia. <laughs> Get out of here. There's a fucking saint. Our Lady of Agony. At the end of August, an annual celebration is held in honor of Nossa Senhora da Agnia. 
in a northern city in Portugal, Viana de Castelo. Festival ends with a procession of boats into the Sea of Viana, where a statue of Nossa Senhora de Gania leads the way. <laughs> I was not aware of that at all. Did you know there was a saint? No, I did not know there was Nossa Senhora de Gania. <laughs> Imagine picking her as your confirmation <laughs> saint. <laughs> Kelly Agnia Ferreira. <laughs> it would be perfect today. <laughs> People would oh be like, that gosh. would be her middle name. Agony <laughs> Holy crap. I didn't realize that about a saint. That's so freaking funny. I, th- I think that's hysterical. And I'm just going to keep going because this I highlighted things in this article that are just pure gold to me. Yeah, go for it. This part says when they go to the doctor here, like the doctor isn't going to write you a diagnosis of agony-ish, right? An agony diagnosis. <laughs> so like they they end up having to translate whatever they're experiencing or feeling into quote unquote terms of Western medicine so that they can treat it, right? So they'll call it an anxiety disorder or they'll call it whatever. It says in Portugal, it's treated differently than in North America. It says in Portugal, agony-ish is often treated with quote unquote Community compassion, where in North America, there's a tendency to view agniage as a psychiatric disorder, where it then becomes medicalized and commodified. Makes sense. <laughs> Insurance companies need to make their money. <laughs> also, it's crazy. Community compassion refers to social sharing of agniage, where community members empathize with the experience of others. Yeah, I don't think that's a cure all. <laughs> <laughs> no. No. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you feel a little bit better that you're sharing but like also if you're actually dying you probably don't want to just sit be sitting here <laughs> right. kumbaya yeah. in a circle with your friends <laughs> right it says this form of sharing and compassion is particularly important for a community that is losing its traditions erasing the language of igneous has been has the potential to reduce community relations which are important to immigrant communities require support in navigating social barriers. So I did read somewhere else in this article that there's this fear that the young, the youths, the youths are not going to carry on the term agniage and that it's going to end with like our parents' generation. And then we are just floating on by not just losing that entire cultural term of agniage. Oh, that's something they don't have to worry about. I'm here to tell you, we have an entire podcast episode dedicated to this. We are using Agniish. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> We're always agonized. <laughs> so they don't need to worry about that. The loss of the term Igneish. Okay. So here's one that you'll find interesting, Kelly. It says that expressing Agniish allows for experiences that must remain unspoken to be acknowledged. For example, Expressing agniage allows social acknowledgement of this person's experience with violence. So she said, if I told you that I have agniage and you're my neighbor, you would know that my father was beating me and that he had done so in the past. So it was almost like a way of expressing yourself without being like, my dad's beating me. Right. Just, I have agniage. But how? <laughs> Like, how, how 
how does the neighbor know? <laughs> how does how the- would she know that you just don't have heartburn? That's what I'm saying. That's another thing. Like domestic violence, a child abuse is thrown on the is an, it's another branch added to the freaking tree. And like you're supposed to just figure it out with with the one word I have ignited. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. I'm going to tell you over over my hydrangea plant that I have ignited. <laughs> and you're supposed to know. <laughs> I have a gnage, <laughs> a wink, a wink. Yeah. I don't understand. I could be telling you a plethora of things. I could tell you that I have heartburn. I could be telling you I have asthma. I can tell you I have premonitions, according to this. I know. Oh, that's interesting, though. All right. So I have a second paper that I'm going to reference. And this one is called Lost in Translation. An Ethnographic Study of Traditional Healers in the Azorean Islands of Portugal by Bertie Jane Besenson. And this was in 2008. This article goes into a lot of the treatment and healing, which we are going to talk about next week. But there were a few other things that I wanted to pull and talk about in this episode from this article or from this uh, research document, I should say. So again, this article is talking about where the Azores are located, considered as being in the middle of the Atlantic, incredible sense of remoteness and isolation, combined with severe climate conditions, all stuff we know, but how strong of an impact it has on the residents. And it quotes one of the, they call them informants, that that they base their research on, people they talk to out there. And they said... There's a climate that is permanently changing, whether the sun is shining, whether it rains, whether there's fog, the relative moisture of the air usually is always above 80%. That causes people to usually be anguished, to be burdened, to have a tremendous weight on one's back. Like the people used to say, what a weight I have in my head. This is a little bit to do with isolation. The act of leaving to go anywhere always forces us to catch a plane and we always have to subject ourselves to storms while on the mainland people travel by car or by train anytime and whenever they want. So the residents are often at the mercy of extreme weather conditions and even outsiders tend to feel claustrophobic and may have to leave the islands. That, coupled with all the seismic activity that we've talked about, it's a constant reminder of the extreme and fragile conditions of life on the islands the impending doom the impending doom the sense of everything going to collapse to shit (laughs) it says the 1957 fayal eruption Mm -hmm. fayal trembled and people were said to have suffered from nausea as if they were rocking on a ship at sea the island felt like it was rocking on a ship at sea. Can you imagine that? Being at home and feeling that? No. Oh, I mean, I can't awful. I can't imagine what it was like to just live on these islands with really no way out, feeling stuck there, and just feeling like you were just a speck in the middle of the sea. It worries me because it's like, well, I don't live there, but to evacuate, you can't just like hop in your car and leave. You're stuck. You're stuck. Like you can hop in your car and like go to another part of the island. That's it. 
like at least here in the states if we have to evacuate we can just get into our car and start driving down to like florida or fucking canada like whatever you know what i mean mm-hmm. and they can't that's like what's scary it makes you appreciate because we we grow up now and we're like i can't believe that they're so hung up on worshiping the holy spirit or they have this fear of the holy spirit and it's like it makes you appreciate why they did right because they felt like they were just helpless like they were at the mercy of the gods yeah they need to like they needed to sacrifice something to the gods <laughs> to just keep the gods yeah to keep the gods happy and you know what they that's a fantastic segue because my very next point was going to be about the rumage when they were having all those volcanoes and earthquakes i think one of the earlier ones in the 1500s that decimated villafranca which was the prior capital of san miguel it sort of birthed this tradition of the rumage where they pray and the way this article describes it, they pray and sing hymns as they walk from parish to parish over the entire island of San Miguel. My dad actually did hermitage. I don't know if your family ever did. My dad take part did not. I don't think so. My dad's not. A- they do it here. Yeah, they do. They do it here in the U.S. too. But my dad flew out there and did it on San Miguel. Yeah, like in the two in the two thousands time frame. Sometime my dad watched them walk by from the porch of his bar. <laughs> So, you know, he was almost there. So that whole ritual is for people, for our listeners who don't know what Hermitage is, but they literally, like, they march all around mm-hmm. the entire island from village to village, stopping at all the churches. Not, I don't think they stop at every single village, but they get around the entire island. They do a whole loop and end up back where they started. And they bring their rosary beads and they bring a little backpack on their back and a little cape thing. Some have a walking stick. A walking <laughs> stick. And it's it's a mountainous, hilly island. I don't think it's easy to, to do oh, that yeah. walk. And you walk for, I think, a whole week. I think it's like a seven-day track. Yeah, it is a seven. And yeah, seven days. I actually just had a whole conversation with this with my dad and cousin. Mm-hmm because they did it together in the 2000s. And we were having a whole conversation like two weeks ago about this concept, but they would go to the church first. So they would all congregate there and you have young boys all the way up to like elderly men. It was always all men that did the walks. They would wait there for people to come from the village they were in to say, Hey, I can take two people in my home, you know, and like stay, you can come to my home. You can wash your feet. You can clean up. I can serve you supper. Mm-hmm. And then you'll return to the church in the morning to recongregate with all the other permage and continue on your way. And so they would literally just one by one, they would go and they would send the young kids and the elderly first. And then with people who would show up and sometimes there people wouldn't show up you know, like enough people wouldn't volunteer to come and get someone. So you'd have to sleep in the church overnight if nobody came to get you, which I don't know how they got fed at that point. But and he said that the way they did it was they would always pair a young kid with an elderly person and they would never let a young kid go off on his own. Like if somebody said they were only taking one person, like they wouldn't let a young kid go by themselves. 
And then if there was like two people remaining in the church at the end and somebody came by and said, I can only take one, they'd be like, no, we'll both stay here. Cause they wouldn't, they had this like unwritten rule that they wouldn't leave people by themselves. They have a bro code. A bro code. <laughs> I am like surprised that there's not a higher rate of serial killers in on the island. <laughs> Why? Just because like you're saying at these random people's houses that you don't know. Like, I'm sorry. Sorry. My brain just always goes to that. And you know this. <laughs> I I know. But like on the island, I feel like I would feel so safe. I feel like I would just I would go with anyone. <laughs> I would go to any Seward's house. I'd be like, okay, Seward, let's go. All right. Anyone that's listening to this, she's gonna be out there in a few weeks. So <laughs> um, no, I know. I had that sense, like same, yeah, I get that same vibe when I'm out there too, but my brain also goes the other way and just thinks everybody's trying to kill everybody. <laughs> I'm gonna say two things about the Hermitage. One is again from this article. It says the ritual is characterized by intense prayer and penance. Time is taken away from family and work with the quote idea of pardon and reconciliation with the divine and with spiritual renewal. So it was literally them kind of like pleading to the gods to like, hey, you mind you mind stopping that seismic activity and those earthquakes over here? Right. Like, we're doing we're doing all this sacrifice for you. Like, look at look at all we're doing. Please don't decimate our island. I can respect that. But wouldn't it just be easier to sacrifice like a virgin? <laughs> but like, focus, focus. But like also, also we have science now. So like you don't need to keep doing that. <laughs> like we didn't have science before. But I know it wasn't as good as it was. But I know how you're like, we have science now. <laughs> They can predict these things. Yeah, like, but like, you don't need to continue the hermit. You know, you don't. But like. Catholicism doesn't believe in science, <laughs> right? <laughs> so oh. maybe they just want you to keep doing your journey, your walkabout. From that lovely point, I'm going to bring up my next point, which is underwear. And the conversation I was having with my dad about the marriage, I was so interested in like, I'm like, dad, you, you just wore a backpack? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, and you fit all of your things in this backpack to just walk around the island for seven days like I don't understand how did you have enough stuff what was the underwear situation dad I need to know how many quackish did you bring did you bring seven quackish and you would just like throw the quackish out like right yeah or were you like washing your quackish when you got to somebody's house every night like I just couldn't understand and like they had differing accounts and I feel like one of them said that they brought seven quackish and then would like throw them out. And the other one was like, I just wore the same quackish the whole time. <laughs> and I was like, wait, what? It's like that vacation meme. You go on a week vacation and you pack 20 pairs of underwears because you're going to shit yourself. <laughs> <laughs> now, wait. So like my biggest worry. So my biggest worry would be the quackish because like I would have to pack. I would I would need an ample supply of quackish. But what was the snack situation like? You know, <laughs> we go on vacation together. You know, I'm always bringing the snacks because I can't get weak. <laughs> I can't have a fitizza. <laughs> so we get very weak. We need our food and our snacks to keep us going. We'll get nauseous. We feel like we're going to pass out. Yeah, it's not a good situation. Probably, like you said, low blood sugar, probably. But 
I asked them about food and I can't remember what they said they brought. They would bring some kind of snack. Like, I don't know if it was like a granola bar say, or something. Yeah. Like, I don't know what they brought, but it wasn't much. I promise you it wasn't much because they had one backpack for seven days. I need snacks when I go on vacation, when I'm like just lounging out by a beach or a pool all day. But these people are hiking <laughs> the island. Doing strenuous <laughs> activity. You need to replenish those electrolytes. And you're telling me that not packing any snacks? <laughs> like I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I'm sorry. The island would fall apart if it was just me. <laughs> So when they do it here, they do it around Good Friday, I think. The one that's out there, it's before Easter. So maybe around the same time too. Probably. But the one here, I want to say it's like a day trip. Yeah, I don't think it's like a seven day. It's definitely not like a seven day thing. And I think it's like like local, like you would go to like one city and you'd hit all the churches in that one city or something like that. Like I, yeah. I I read about it just recently, but I can't remember exactly what it said. Because our old church does it. Permage light. <laughs> like a mini iPod. <laughs> iPod shuffle. <laughs> so the very last thing we're going to do to close out this episode today is we're going to start a little segment. And this is the perfect episode to kick it off. We're starting a segment called, it's called Mental Health. Ooh, ooh, for mental health. (laughs) (laughs) We'll put a little music in there to introduce this segment. We just want to share, because both Kelly and I have struggled with anxiety and mental health and know people who have as well everybody um so we just want to share tips and best practices and we'll just make it kind of like a fun positive way we'll each share one tip at the end of each episode as part of this segment of how we manage mental health and i think when kelly and i were talking about starting this segment i told her because people are on various stages of their mental health journeys and i feel like i have turned a corner with anxiety and I'm kind of on the other side of it where I think Kelly you probably feel like you're more actively still struggling yeah so (laughs) I joked that I joked that this would be the segment where I would give tips and Kelly would take notes (laughs) (laughs) that's right but in my defense the remember last was it like two weekends ago when we got together and would you say that I'm pretty good at like telling people and giving people advice, but I just don't take it from myself. Yes. You're great at giving advice. You just would listen to none of your own advice. Absolutely not. (laughs) I got to hear it from somebody else's mouth, (laughs) not my own. Yes. Like I will just watch you in awe, like explaining to someone else why they don't need to worry about X, Y, Z because it's fine. And then you'll come to me with like, a very See. similar problem. <laughs> Absolutely. And you'll be like, oh my God, the world is ending. And I'm like, what about that advice you just gave like 10 minutes ago to someone else? You want to try that? Absolutely. <laughs> Story. That's literally my life. <laughs> and I kind of like, it would be awesome too if people want to reach out and tell us like what they, like what tips they do, like what they try to do for their mental health. If it's like meditating or reading or drawing, you know, drawing. 
I would like to hear what they like to do so I can add some more things to try to help out with mine. <laughs> yeah. And we'll maybe like keep like a running list or something and post it up on our website and that kind of thing so that people can have a repository where you can go and kind of see all the things that we've already talked about. So who wants to go first? I can go. So I decided on our first one segment, my first thing I would like to say is I tend to use apps to help me with my anxiety. They kind of like go hand in hand together. So I'll just say the both of them. I use the Calm app and the Headspace app, which is really nice to listen to when you are in that anxious state. There are different techniques to like help you breathe, meditate, all that great stuff. So that's what I, and like I said, they kind of go hand in hand. And the Calm app I really like because they'll have like actors and whoever, like actresses, they have them like read things on there. So you like, you'll hear their voices, like Morgan Freeman, you know, like almost one of those oh. things, you know what I mean? <laughs> Oh, baby, all day. Somebody with that That type of voice. That would put me right in a calm state. Yeah, so calm's really good with that. So that is my little helper (laughs) with my anxiety. Are these both free apps to download or they're free to download, but you have to pay for. So calm I pay for and headspace, I believe you have to pay for too. Like um, like an every month thing. I can't tell you exactly how much it is now, right off the bat. So let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. The other day, and we'll get into this story in another episode, but when Got you thought nervous. you had when <laughs> when you thought you had rabies, <laughs> did Morgan Freeman it's help not even you? funny because I struggled. No, I didn't because <laughs> I was not listening to any of that. I'm also I can also be stubborn, so I can get all the advice and all the things coming at me and I still like refuse to like listen to it sometimes like I'm just like no but this is really what's going on so no the apps didn't help me at that moment time <laughs> I didn't know that you had these two apps yeah. that you use so now when you come to me and think you have rabies I'm gonna say <laughs> WWMD what would Morgan do <laughs> I don't know if he's actually on it but like it's those people like with those type of voices that like will do like a thing on the Calm app. But yeah, you should that should be our new thing. What would Morgan Freeman do? <laughs> That'd be awesome. <laughs> I picture so if it's not Morgan Freeman, then like he would be the best one. So who else is on there? Like is it just like like check Mr. We... T? Like I pity the right? fool. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that would calm me. Okay, so like uh, quickly, it's like Matthew McConaughey. Kate Winslet, Lucy Liu. All right, all right, all right. Yeah, I, <laughs> right? <laughs> I don't think Morgan Freeman's on it, but he definitely should. And they do like music, a lot of lullabies. Soundscapes is another one. I do. I use that a lot to sleep too. So that's like a funny story because when I went to Mexico a few months ago, I have to use like some, sometimes I use these apps to sleep, but Mexico, I didn't need it because I was like, I'm exhausted at the beach all day. So I didn't need it to help me sleep. But our friend that I was with uses soundscapes too to fall asleep. <laughs> and I was like, why are you putting a beach soundscape? Just open the um just open the <laughs> windows and we can get the like actual beach skate. Like oh my god, I was saying I hate white noise, FYI. Really? I am not a white 
I am not a white noise person. It annoys the crap out of me. There are people who need white noise to sleep. My husband is one of them and it drives me crazy. Does he do a fan? Starting from when we first started dating in college, in like 2009, he would put a box fan like through the winter. He'd put a box fan under his, he'd plug it in and put it under his bed just for the white noise aspect of the fan. So he'd put it under the bed so that it wouldn't actually blow cold air on us because it was freezing. Right. But just for the noise. But just for the noise component. He still uses stuff like he puts on, he claims it's an air purifier, but <laughs> we know he's just using it for the white noise. And now in the summer, he has the air conditioner. So that makes noise. So he pretty much has white noise all the time. But he actually uses an app when we go other places. So if I stay at my parents' house, he will put on a white noise app. Same. And that drives me crazy. He says it's to drown out the sound of my mom screaming and banging pots and pans in the other room. <laughs> Makes sense. I totally understand that. So my tip that I have chosen for today, I have lots and I didn't know which one to choose first, but I decided to go with mental health baths. Oh, Baths. I know you're not. I know. You're not a bath person? No. No. I a little bit. Not crazy. I started I started a couple years ago just taking in a mental health bath for all it was worth all the time. Like just I would go late to work. I'd be like, this mental health bath is more important <laughs> than getting to work on time. I did not care. I would carve out the time for a mental health bath, whether it was at night, late at night, or in the morning, making me late for work. Like I would just sit there and soak. I would, you know, you can put stuff in the bath. You don't have to put stuff in the bath. A lot of times I will just, if I have Epsom salt or something like that, I'll throw that in there, throw a little coconut oil, whatever. And I just sit and soak and just have some me time. And a lot of that I think was probably from like after I had a kid where you don't have any time to yourself. So it was kind of like my only time after my kid was off to school and as I was getting ready for work that I could just take 30, 40 minutes to myself and just hang in the tub. I like that. Do you still do that now? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. The mental health baths avoid the menti bees, the menti breakdowns. I like that. The MH, MHBs. <laughs> it sounds like we're saying drugs. <laughs> <laughs> you just got to sit. I like that, though. I really do. And I, yep. and I have bath bombs. I have a plethora of bath bombs that I always get as like Christmas gifts. And I don't use them. <laughs> you got to do it. I'm going to every day. I'm in there. I'm soaking. I think I remember I called you one time in the morning. It was for something. I don't know if it was podcast related. I don't even recall. And you were in the bathtub. <laughs> and I was like, oh, wait. Oh, I do take my phone in there. Yeah, you're like, oh, I'm I'm just taking a bath. I'm not at work yet. <laughs> Good for you. We got to do whatever works and what helps. It's now an essential part of my day. I think that kind of wraps up this segment and our episode and we are going to kick off next week with treatments for agniage and i will tell you that there are some interesting treatments they're not all doctors they're 
all kinds of other fun. Supernatural. Spooky, spooky. (laughs) Right up your alley. (laughs) All right. We'll see you guys next week. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. So it's about that time. Thanks for listening. And also check out our website, which is www.folkandfad.com, F-O-L-K-A-N-D-F-A-D.com. Eventually, we'll have more than just our podcast on there. We're going to kind of build that out, but we're still working on that. So for now, you can check out the podcast page on there. There's a cute little Q&A that we just added with the host. So we just answered a few questions that are kind of fun. And we also added a section where you can submit your own stories. So you can go right on there. And if you have anything that you want us to talk about on our podcast, you can do it through that website. You can also DM us on social media platforms for that as well. The other section that will be coming soon there will be an area where you can request to be a guest on our show. We would love to start hosting guests regularly. I think we finally are feeling like we're ready for that. So as soon as we get that part of the website up and running, we will let folks know that they can submit that request. Um, We may also just be reaching out to folks that we know have already expressed interest to us as well. So all exciting things coming soon. And as a final sign off, I'll just remind you of our social media pages where we're most active, which is our Instagram page. Our handle there is at underscore it's called culture. We let you know when new episodes are available. We post some clip, fun clips and reels there. So that's a fun place. Also on Twitter, we engage in a lot of conversation about our episodes or we kind of pose questions that we want people to weigh in on before we record an episode. So that's pretty fun. The handle on Twitter is at Folk and Fad, F-O-L-K-A-N-D-F-A-D. And just a reminder that our episodes air at 4 a.m. Eastern every Tuesday. We'll see you next week.